Welcome to the History AI Podcast, where the past comes alive with facts, anecdotes, and a dash of humor. Here are your hosts, Chuck and Marco. Hello, history enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode of the History AI Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck, and joining me today is the always insightful Marco. Thanks, Chuck. Always excited to dive deep into the past, especially when we're discussing a figure as fascinating and enigmatic as Joan of Arc. Absolutely, Marco. Joan of Arc, born around 1412 in Domremy, a small village in northeastern France, lived during one of the most tumultuous periods in European history, the Hundred Years' War. Her family was not notably wealthy or famous, but were peasant farmers. Yet, they were also quite devout, weren't they, Chuck? Yes, her deep religiosity which she undoubtedly inherited from her parents, Jacques d'Arc and Isabelle Romy, shaped her path. In her early years, Joan began to have mystical visions and hear voices, which she attributed to St. Michael, St. Catherine, and St. Margaret. One could say she was a saint in the making from the start. Though we could only wish to have such divine career guidance. If only Marco, Joan's entry into the military world was nothing short of miraculous. A peasant girl, just seventeen, managed to gain an audience with Charles, the Dauphin, the heir to the French throne, by impressing local lords with her piety and conviction. And not only did she meet him, she managed to convince him to allow her to lead an army to lift the siege of Orleans. I mean, it's an unprecedented rise to power in a male-dominated field, let alone in the 15th century. Joan's military engagement, as well as her intense spiritual experiences, played a pivotal role in the unfolding of her story. Her visions Marco, they weren't just random occurrences, but they deeply influenced her strategies and decisions during the battles. That's right Chuck. And these weren't vague, interpretive dreams. Joan claimed that St. Michael, St. Catherine, and St. Margaret were quite explicit, instructing her to support Charles VII and help expel the English from France. She even predicted her own injuries in battle, which astonishingly came true during the assault at Orleans. Speaking of Orleans, let's dive a bit into that. The Siege of Orleans is often highlighted due to its turning point nature in the Hundred Years' War. The English had the city surrounded, and the morale of the French troops was dwindling until our heroine arrived. And what an arrival it was. Joan didn't just bring physical reinforcement, but a spiritual and moral boost. Her faith and confidence were so unwavering that it rallied the French forces leading to the lifting of the siege in just nine days after her arrival. A miracle some might say. Indeed. From then on, Joan was not just a warrior but a symbol. However, her relationship with the French court and Charles VII was quite the intricate dance, wouldn't you say Marco? Oh, absolutely Chuck. While Charles VII did allow her a significant military role after she provided accurate knowledge of the Battle of Rouvray through what? She claimed were her divine visions, the court was always somewhat skeptical of her. Skepticism that extended to many in the Dauphin's inner circle. Joan was undeterred though. She pressed Charles to go to Reims for his rightful coronation, a venture that was successful and bolstered Charles's legitimacy. Joan stood beside him at the ceremony, a testament to her instrumental role in his ascent. Her unwavering faith, miraculous military victories. An eventual martyrdom make her an enigma wrapped in the trappings of sainthood and militarism, forging a legacy that is both powerful and controversial. Right you are Marco. And as we venture further into her story, we'll see how the complexities of her relationship with divine visions and earthly politics intertwine to create a narrative as fascinating today as it was shocking to those in the 15th century. 
Stay tuned folks, as we delve deeper into the darker aspects of Joan's journey in our next segment. Wave goodbye to sugar-loaded boosts and say hello to Strike Force Energy. The energy drink additive revolutionizing how you power up, all without a single calorie or sugar. Just a squeeze, and you're set for action. Ready to make the switch? Visit StrikeForceEnergy.com. And for our listeners, spark your savings with an exclusive 20% discount. Just use code UTSALAX24 at checkout. Remember, UTSALAX24. Strike Force Energy, elevate every sip. Transitioning from the peaks of victory to the depths of despair, Jones' capture and subsequent trial exposed the very raw and human elements of her journey. Following the resounding success at Orleans and other campaigns, Jones' fortunes took a dark turn during the Siege of Compiègne, didn't they, Marco? Oh, they sure did, Chuck. Despite her previous triumphs and somewhat mystical reputation, Joan was left outside the city gates of Compiègne during a retreat, subsequently being captured by the Burgundians. Now, here's where politics enters our tragic tale. Instead of being ransomed, which was a common practice at the time, Joan was handed over to the English which speaks volumes about her impact on the war and the fear and resentment she instilled in her opponents. Joan's trial, held in Rouen, was nothing short of a politically motivated inquisition, orchestrated largely by Pierre Cauchon, a bishop with a notably pro-English stance. Absolutely Chuck. And let's not forget, this trial was anything but fair. Joan, a mere 19-year-old girl, was pitted against a tribunal of seasoned theologians and law experts. She was isolated, threatened, and manipulated, yet her responses demonstrated an impressive clarity and shrewdness. It's remarkable, Marco. Even under such duress and facing a plethora of charges, including insubordination, heresy, and, would you believe, dressing in male military attire, Joan managed to provide sharp, intelligent, and at times, quite sassy responses to her inquisitors. You've got to admire her spirit. A particular instance that stands out is when she was quizzed about her certainty of being in God's grace, a theological trap intended to snare her into admitting heresy. Joan astutely replied, If I am not, may God put me there, and if I am, may God so keep me. A diplomatic answer if there ever was one. But despite her resilience and wit, the trial was steeped in bias and political machinations. On May 30, 1431, Joan was burned at the stake in Rouen, marking a brutal end to a life that had so ardently defended France and the Dauphin. Her death wasn't the end though. Chuck, it's fascinating how her narrative evolved posthumously. Joan's trial was later investigated and she was exonerated of all charges, leading to her eventual canonization in 1920. A tragic tale but an enduring legacy. Despite her tragic demise, Joan's legacy lived on, culminating in her canonization as a saint in 1920. She became a symbol of French nationalism, and her courage and faith continue to inspire people worldwide. And Chuck, it's not just her military tactics that are remembered, but also her unwavering belief in her cause and herself, even when faced with death. Truly remarkable. And with that, dear listeners, we wrap up our brief journey through the life of Joan of Arc, a peasant, a warrior, a martyr, and a saint. Thank you all for tuning into the History AI podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, and share the podcast with all your fellow history buffs. And join us tomorrow as we delve into another exciting episode from the Annals of History. Goodbye, and keep exploring the past.